I know there is this concept, there is this myth that you might say, where all banks kind of behave the same. And if you're looking to invest in the banking industry, you just sort of buy and hold any of them, you wait for 10 years, you wait for 20 years, and you're gonna be just fine. Now, in theory, I do agree with that. I do agree with the you're gonna be just fine part, but there has been a huge difference in returns depending on which of those banks you've chosen. The reality is that BNS, Bank of Nova Scotia, that CM, CIBC, have dramatically underperformed their peers. Now, if you hold these banks, what do you do? Do you change your portfolio? What do you do to reconsider? Let's start right at the beginning. All of these banks have the same opportunities, right? They all play by the same rules. They're domiciled here in Canada, yet the results have been so dramatically different. So let's look at some of the numbers and see if we can figure something out here. If we look at the one-year returns as of December 31st, 2022, this is what we find. CIBC and BNS were at the bottom of the ladder and they returned around 22%, 24% negatively, respectively, lagging the other Canadian major banks. I know you might say uh, one year is just a snapshot and in the short term, anything can happen. And I do agree with that. So to be fair, let's look at a little bit longer number here. Let's extend this out to three years. And when we look at those numbers, again, we see CM, we see BNS underperforming the sector and by a significant margin. Now I know three years isn't that long. What about a longer time frame? In fairness, let's look at five years. But first, I wanna remind you that in addition to this YouTube channel, we do also have our Investing Academy. This is our online platform and we work with Canadians literally from across the country of all ages and we help educate about investing and financial issues in general. The course material is designed to take you from a raw beginner to be a fully confident investor. I will put a link in the description below and invite you to have a look, see what our current students are saying, watch our free case study, see how we might be able to help you out. So I will put that link in the description below. So back to these two banks, let's have a look at a five-year number. I'm thinking that maybe we should have stopped at three because stretching the line out to five years only widens the gap. 10 maybe? Sorry, even here there's no great news for the holders of these two Canadian banks. Again, not even close actually. And I know there's this thing called regression to the mean. And in all of these circumstances, when we stretch that line out long enough, we're gonna see that evening out. We're gonna see that balance reach. So let's take one last look. Let's go right out to 20 years and see how that looks. In this case, as we can see, Bank of Montreal has given them a run for their money under performance. We're both CIBC and BNS still take the trophy even over that long time period. Now sure, both of these banks, so Bank of Nova Scotia, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, they both have created value. In fact, over the last 20 years, CM is up about 520%, BNS is up 470%. Now these aren't horrible numbers, but why have they underperformed their peers? When we look at their competition, they've been up from 580% on the low side, all the way up to almost 1200% on the high side. If we convert that to compound annual growth, well, we see these numbers. We see CIBC up 8.62% compound. Bank of Nova Scotia, 6.82%. BMO, almost 12%. Royal Bank, 12.5%. TD Bank, up almost 12%. And National Bank, being the leader in this category, up 13.7%. So even with this even playing field, even with equal access to opportunities and the same rules that everyone else has to play by, what is wrong with these two banks? Why have they continually underperformed in every time measurement? Well, actually, they haven't underperformed in every time measurement if we drill, drill down to sort of one-year time periods. Let's look at some periodic returns. And what happens if we look at these on a year-by-year -year basis? What might that tell us? Well, in 2022, yes, obviously, both of these banks severely underperformed their peers. 
but this doesn't necessarily explain the longer term numbers. It can skew them, recent performance, but let's look at those longer term averages. In 2021, just a year ago, CIBC was one of the top gainers. If we look at a longer time frame, Bank of Nova Scotia was near the top in 2016. But here's the twist. When things have been bad in this whole sector, things have been particularly bad for these two companies. And we look back over the last 10 years, for example, 2022, well, we just saw they were the worst performers there. When we look at 2018, we see again, they led the downside in these companies. When we go back to 2015, they are two of the three worst performing companies in the sector. If you are consistently the worst during these bad times, you have to be consistently good or great even during the good times, and they simply haven't been. So let's take a look at some of the factors to see if we can drill down a little bit deeper to give us some clues as to what has been happening with these two banks here. Let's start with something really simple. Let's start with the market capitalization. Personally, I own two Canadian banks. I own TD and I own RBC. And if you'd like to know what are the things you need to look at when you yourself are assessing for a bank, a much deeper dive, I'll put a link to a video I created here on TD and you can see a much more detailed look at what you might be looking for if you're looking for any of the banks here in Canada. You can see by this chart here, Royal Bank is the current market cap leader with a market cap of $178 billion. TD comes in next with $161 billion. And then you can see in comparison, Bank of Nova Scotia comes in at $79 billion with Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce at about $51 billion. Now, I will say it's kind of hard to use this measurement in isolation because the share underperformance that we've seen over the last couple of decades obviously is going to contribute to this metric. The lower share price inherently is going to contribute to a lower market cap, uh, but that said, I look at National Bank, which has a market cap of $31 billion today, and you can see that it actually has been the best performer, the strongest performer over a similar time period here. So I don't think that in and of itself uh, is telling. So there's another interesting twist here, which might help explain things. Canadian banks, when you think of them, you think of uh, stable, you think of reliable, you think of dependable dividend streams, right? Well, today you're sitting there trying to decide which of the banks you own, and there's some juicy dividends that might kind of draw you in to the wrong banks. BNS and CM both today are paying in that 6%, and you compare that to 3% to 4.5% for the others on a trailing basis. So if you're a yield investor, is it worth taking that leap into sort of this chronic underperformance that you've seen from these two companies in order to capture the extra yield? The number one priority for a yield investor should be, at least in my opinion, the security of actually making sure you collect your dividends on a regular basis. In this space, it's appropriate to use the dividend payout ratio to help us determine how safe these dividends are. Let's take a closer look, and when we do this, we see that BNS and CM are at the top end of this scale. Each of them have a payout ratio of around 64% in their most recent fiscal quarter reporting, and these numbers are significantly higher than the peer group. So I wonder, does this perceived lack of security perhaps play a role in investors choosing some of the other banks over these two and creating more demand there? I would say probably not. I mean, even mid-60s is very safe for these cash machines, the banks that we have here in Canada. So I don't imagine that it's a major um, big factor in investors' decisions. But like I said earlier, um, all else being equal and everything else being equal, this might be one of those things to uh, that plays a role in their decisions. Let's move now to a metric that might be telling a little bit bigger picture here, and this is return on assets. And this is a measure of how profitable a company is in relationship to its total assets. And it's a measure that is focused on efficiency. And this is something that some institutional buyers might be more focused on uh, when they make their big decisions on which banks they're going to operate in. When we look at Bank of Nova Scotia and we look at CIBSC compared to their peers here, they are low on this scale. We see them trailing the other banks on an ROA metric when we look at the last 12 months. 
So again, this is maybe one of those metrics that might play into why their returns have been suppressed for so long now. So let's take a little bit deeper dive into the specifics of each of these companies and see if we can get any clues here. Um, for those of you who follow Scotiabank, we know that they are a big player in the Latin America financial space and they've, they're kind of famous or infamous almost. One of the acquisitions they made was they bought BBVA Chile for $2.6 billion Canadian, extending their reach there. And they've just recently added another $1.3 billion to their stake down in the Chile area as well. Same time frame, 2018, they made some changes here at home too. They um, bought Jaroslawski Fraser for almost a billion dollars. And one of the keys here is that they issued shares for this purchase. And finally, they purchased MD Financial Management, which is a big financial manager in the medical space. Price tag there was $2.6 billion. Again, about a billion and a half in share issuance to complete those transactions. Which leads me to a couple of things that I wanna talk about here. Um, is their heavy exposure down in Latin America helping them as it's designed to do, or is it actually you know, holding them back and hurting them? Locally here, did they overpay for the assets that they acquired? Um, at the end of the day, I guess the question is, have these deals paid off. When you look at their net income, only 4% of their net incomes comes from the Caribbean and the Central America areas. So not a huge chunk of income considering just the, the resources that they've spent there. Another controversial move that they've just made or actually in the process of making at the time I'm filming this video is that effective February the 1st, 2023, there will be a CEO change at the company here. Scott Thompson will be taking over as CEO. Now he's the president and CEO from Finning International. The controversy here, of course, is that he's an outsider, not from the banking industry. He does have six years of experience on the board of directors here at the company, but it definitely is an unusual step. And again, if we're looking to inspire confidence in investors, this is something that might go one way, it, it might go the other way. The bottom line here is BNS, I've always felt uh, is a rel relatively aggressive company. They do things a little bit differently. Uh, it comes with risk. Will this change turn them around? I guess that's the question that we really, uh, that remains uh, to be answered. Pivot now over to CIBC and, and have a closer look at what they do here. Um, everything basically that could go wrong with CIBC over the past 20 years has gone wrong and that's uh, reflective in the share price and especially as we saw last year in 2022 was just another example of that. The company is definitely uh, struggling to regain credibility, but they're working on it. Um, with CIBC, I find it a little bit harder to pinpoint some of those stark differences, but I am going to look at growth. And if we look, for example, at net income growth over a five-year time period, not surprisingly, we see these two companies, Bank of Nova Scotia at the bottom, but CIBC with a 5.7% compound annual growth rate over the last five years. Obviously, as an investor, you want to see growth in these key areas. That's one thing that may be holding the stock back. When we look at revenue growth, as another example, they're really at the middle of the pack. So there's nothing that jumps out here that's obvious to me that that would put them in such a, a suppressed area. One of the things that I did notice in their reporting is their mortgages, and most of the Canadian banks have a large exposure to the Canadian bank or to the Canadian mortgage market. I want to look at uninsured mortgages versus insured mortgage. So most of the banks, all of the banks will have a portion of their mortgage book that has insurance on it as some that is not insured. Now, CIBC has 21% of their mortgages that actually are insured. 
when you compare those against their peers, you've got Bank of Nova Scotia with 28% insured, National Bank 29, Royal Bank 34, Bank of Montreal 37, and TD Bank at 48% insured. So that is one area that to me, there's a pretty stark difference uh, when you're analyzing these companies that may, again, uh, give a tendency for certain investors to lean one way or the other. Another thing that sticks out to me is litigation. Now, obviously a lot of Canadian banks, all of them will have litigation on an ongoing, um, on an ongoing basis, but CIBC has had a few high profile cases which might have hurt them. And these stretch back over the same time period that they've underperformed. I want to highlight a couple of them here. Let's start off with uh, what is now a 15 year old case, but it's just been settled, uh, is a case where they did not compensate employees for overtime work and they settled for a payment of 153 million dollars in that case in a second suit we'll look at here they've just been ordered to pay 848 million dollars us so more than a billion dollars canadian to cerberus capital management now this is a 2015 lawsuit but it stems back to 2008 so again 15 years ago or so and this may be hanging over the company as investors again are trying to determine where to put their money they also have ties to the infamous enron again going back to 2005 uh, they had a $2.4 billion US settlement in that case, and it made it the largest class action security settlement on record at the time, which obviously doesn't endear long-term investors to the company itself. Like I say, I, I don't see anything as stark differences in the way the company is run uh, compared to BNS that might explain this underperformance, um, but clearly, these are some of the issues that might be at play there. I've resisted the temptation in this video to focus on recent events. Yeah, we looked at some returns, etc., to put everything in context, but we have seen a long-term trend of these companies underperforming. Question is, what is so fundamentally different about these companies? Um, a lot of it comes, I think, from the uncertainty. And as I said earlier, the markets just don't like uncertainty. Uh, when you look at a space like the Canadian banks, you think of security, you think of predictability. Um, and when you can pick... Uh, and choose and you have banks that offer that uh, in a more stable manner they're going to command a premium uh, there's going to be more demand for that types of uh, those types of companies and those are the reasons that i'm sticking personally with uh, royal bank and td bank uh, when it comes to my holdings in the canadian bank space if all of this talks about banks makes you nervous there may be a solution for you and that is etfs and should you own banks directly, like I'm talking about here, should you own ETS with a broader diversification and with professional management? This video right here will show you everything you need to know in that decision. Again, the link for the Investing Academy is in the description below. Thank you very much for watching the video and I will see you in the next video.